politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight with a sense of direction on the issues that matter and the way they matter at the time they matter. If that is your order, well, we are ready to dish it out here in droves at CR Podcast. Daniel Hurwitz back here today, March 14th. It is Tuesday. And yeah, I'm in a pretty bad mood. This is pretty frustrating. Maybe some of you like it better when I'm in a bad mood. But we have all this politics, all this commentary. It's an entire industry. This happens, that happens, COVID happens, the, the train derailment, the banking crisis, the balloons, Ukraine. And there's endless commentary. But there is no sense of direction. Notice, we talked yesterday exactly what to do about the banking situation And it's not the banking, it's in our entire economy, how the Federal Reserve is able to do what they do. You need to repeal Humphrey's Hawkins, Humphrey Hawkins, the dual mandate for them to manipulate uh, the economy with raising and lowering interest rates and buying securities and printing money. End it. And it doesn't even end the Fed. I think it's a much more achievable uh, goal. But there's no one calling for that. Half the Republicans don't even have problems with this bailout. A bailout of green energy lending is really what it is. That's really what's underpinning it, because that's mostly what uh, Silicon Valley Bank did. But there's no desire for an outcome. And you're seeing this. We're going to talk today about you know, going a little bit back to the states, the state level. There's no effort to do anything. So where they do have control, it's not all oh, but the Democrats and Biden and the you know Chuck Schumer controls the Senate. Okay, what about all these deep red states? Very little good is getting done. And in fact, in a lot of places, we're still playing defense. Where either the executive branch or the institution set up of the red states are pushing woke things and our bills to block it get fa- get block, you know, to get chucked by leadership by the governor, or they downright pass new bad bills. Today in Florida, Governor DeSantis is yanking the liquor license of a Hyatt Regency in Miami for uh, hosting a drag show for kids. But we don't see this in any other state, really. A little bit here and there, a little bit in Tennessee we had some success. There's a pretty good speaker there. Here and there, a couple issues, a couple of states but nowhere near where it needs to be in 20 to 25 states. And what I've been saying the last year or two is that the lack of success in the red states is the control group on this debate at a federal level. Oh, is it that we don't have the power or we don't have the initiative? Well, if you had the initiative, it's just you didn't have the power. Well, what about in all the red states you do? So we'll get into that a little later. I first want to go into... um, the just just the latest on the banking stuff our sponsor today those of you who support the first amendment do you actually live the second amendment i'm sorry the second amendment do you actually live it do you know how to accurately train and shoot we've been promoting for some time iTarget pro as a laser um, dry fire practice system where you don't have to spend a fortune on ammo, go out to the range, you know, all of them, like my range closes at six o'clock at night, 
Uh, it's kind of ridiculous. So it's hard to get there in the comfort of your home. You could train with iTarget Pro's app. But now they have something even more fun. Not just one board where you shine your um, your iPhone on and you know it times your practice. You can get that. There's also iTarget Cube. It's fully compatible with your existing laser bullets, so your you know nine millimeter, your your two two three for a rifle, and you could buy several of them and set them up throughout your home, and literally practice clearing homes, different drills, dynamic shooting with multiple targets. Again, make sure there's no one around. You don't have real ammo around. Obviously, follow all safety precautions, but it's really fun, and you could. Do it, again, with the comfort of your home. It's accurate. Go to the letter I, targetpro.com, itargetpro.com, offer code CR for 10% off plus free shipping. This is the way to train like a pro without blowing your wad, itargetpro.com, offer code CR. Um, So, you know, real quickly, Chronicles 2, 1232, and of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Just just very simple. Very simple verse. Understanding the times to know what we ought to do. We don't have that. There's a bunch of commentary in the banking, but nobody is calling for the, the actual play that this is a perfect time as the Federal Reserve is forcing us into this inflation trap to bail out not just any elites, but the woke green elites who are failing even after all of the monetary and fiscal subsidies and regulations on their competitors in, in natural fossil fuels. And also, by the way, there's no greater market distortion than the government themselves saying that fossil fuels are poison and you're going to die and you need that product. I'm saying even before we get into regulation, when you have the boot of the government telling you you must get a vaccine, well, that's the greatest tailwind you could ever get to a product and still their financing is failing because that's what venture socialism is with covid that's not even on the map anymore they're killing us all the news and we'll get to it towards the end of the week as we uh commemorate three years since uh 15 days to flatten the curve and the rise of the fourth Reich. but covid we're done with like no one even cares people are dying left and right they're creating new shots building more security apparatuses, the surveillance state. There's no direction on what to do with that. No outcome. East Palestine, we forgot that. No direction on the simple outcome, get them out of there. No. No direction on Ukraine. No direction on, um, on, on, on the banking, on anything. It's just day-to-day talking points. And by the way, again, I just want to, want you guys to understand what's going on here. And notice it's only like Thomas Massey and a few others with their hair on fire over this. The others aren't too bothered. They might take some pot shots at Biden, but they fundamentally are not opposing this. So you have a woke bank, let's say bought, you know, I don't know, a $10 million 10-year treasury bond. And it was near zero, let's say a half a percentage interest rate. So today, based on that interest rate, it's literally worth only 78%. So your $10 million now goes to, oops, 
7.8 million. Okay? So the government is now saying your 7.8 million under this BTFP discount program, that's the new discount program, will basically deem it worth 10 million, not 7.8. So that's your printed $220 million. That, that's what it means printing money. It's out of thin air. And then the other thing is the moral hazard, the FDIC, they have about $125 billion. Do do you know how many deposits there are? It's about $10 trillion. So they have about one and a quarter percent, enough to cover one and a quarter percent. Now, again, that was enough with the statutory um, charter to cover, you know, it was originally 100,000. They raised it to 250 during the banking crisis. But now they just signaled to the market that they're going to socialize any bank's loss. You understand the problem with that? We are headed to inflation hell. And by the way, the CPI numbers just came out, and they're celebrating it's only 6%. Right? Used to be we'd want 2 2.5%. And that's like good news. But again, it's just that the rate of increase slowed a little bit. But it's a record high baseline, just like gas prices are like $3.40 for March. This is before we head into the Memorial Day surge. That's high. So, But the fact that it wasn't quite as high as before, that's the new baseline, the new normal. But think about this. If you look at the things that mattered, year-over-year inflation for home food, up 10.2%, electricity up 129 gasoline for homes up 143 and shelter, you know, like rent, up 8.1%. So all the things that matter, food, utilities, rent, all the while, real hourly earnings were down 1.3%. That is almost every month for two years. So I think it's the 23rd or 24th consecutive month with real annual earnings down while core inflation numbers are, are way up. And, and, and the only reason why it was dragged down is because the used cars were insane. So that kind of went down a little bit. But now on the producer price end, it looks like we're headed for another round of even that. But this is before that. This is when it looked like we were headed towards the era of raising interest rates. And Republicans are like bellyaching. Oh, it's the, the, it's the raising interest rates is the problem. It's not the raising interest rates is the problem. I mean, it's the fact that they were artificially made so low. So that raising them would then become a problem. But again, Republicans are missing the point, hearing a lot of that from them. But that's where we are, and there's no sense of direction on the need to say the Federal Reserve cannot tamper with the market, just hold a stable currency. That is their one task. What is so hard about repealing Humphrey Hawkins, that dual mandate, that they cannot buy up mortgage-backed securities, and print money. What is so hard in, in a time of inflation like this to stand on the side of the people versus a few well-connected elites? But there's no direction. That's how, like, COVID is repudiated, just like the bank bailouts are repudiated, but the policies continue. 
because all we have is commentary without direction. And that's how we have these problems in the States. In the States. So I want to get to our latest kind of series. We'll do this every once in a while. The Rhino Rampage. Happening in deep red state legislatures. But first, our other sponsor today, Quinn's Goat Soap. I just got another shipment of the healthiest natural made soap from goat milk on the farm of 15-year-old, 15-year-old Quinn Pittman at QPGoatSoap.com, Florida homeschooling family that teaches their kids to, to worship God, not government. And what happens? Quinn became an entrepreneur at just 12, 13 years old. Um, he's been doing this for a few years. He bought new goats, so they're churning out more products, shampoo, soap, um, aftershave, uh, men's products, female products. Uh, their soap smells great. It um, really makes me look forward to showers now. I find myself taking more of them just because of uh, the opportunity to use QP soap. Um, and look, you'll get to support not just this show, but one of us. One of us, a Blaze family. Um, in honor of the two new goats Quinn bought, they're offering 15% off with promo code new. Goats, new goats, really helps for dry skin. The natural raw milk, whole oils, citrus. Um, this is really something that's a lot better than when, when you get that Dove soap in the mar and off the shelf. Um, it's really, I mean, not only is it a woke company, by the way, but it's kind of the equivalent of processed foods for for soap, and whatever goes on your skin goes into your body. So again, try QPGoatSoap.com today. Promo code new goats will give you the better bang than the old uh, promo code for 15% off qpgoatsoap.com so let's go through this rhino rampage um we got in west virginia they ended their session did nothing to stop covid fascism and they had it really really bad from that jerk off governor jim justice but this is from conservative review my colleague um Wrote, wrote this up, Sarah Weaver. The West Virginia legislature passed a ban on sex change surgeries, cross-sex hormones, and pu puberty blockers with exceptions for patients at significant suicide risk. Um, Senate Majority Leader Tom Takubo, who's a rhino, urged the changes to the original bill, which allow exceptions to the bill's ban. Um, and, and basically... As you well know, it guts the bill because the, obviously, as we well know, it's not natural for a man to be, think he's a woman or vice versa. And it's it's a mental illness. And, and it's part of the broader mental health crisis we have that has been germinated by creating a generation of just delinquent kids, uh, terrible food, terrible shots terrible culture, video games, transhumanism, and then capped off, obviously, with, uh, you know, the, the lockdowns. So this is one of the things. And then you have social media on TikTok, viral things. Oh, it's now cool to be this. Channel your mental illness through that. So the point is, most of these people will be able to assert that they're suicidal. So it basically guts the bill. So even this, where we were kind of actualizing a degree of success, well... Not in West Virginia. There's almost no Democrats. So I don't want to hear this business of but the Democrats. You need to answer for me. 
if with three Democrats left in the legislature there in the Senate and you can't get this passed, then I don't want to hear about the presidential election, Biden, Congress. We have a serious problem and we need answers. We need men that understand the times to know what we ought to do. Idaho, which we thought we had some success and maybe we'll have some on other things and hopefully this will fail. But basically, they passed this resolution. Now, I know it's not binding. It's, it's called Senate Joint Memorial Number 101. But it basically calls for amnesty. It calls for an effective process by which persons currently present in the U.S. without lawful status and who are gainfully employed could basically get pay, pay a fine and get amnesty. Senator Dan Foreman, one of the few good senators in Idaho, attempted to send the legislation back to committee, basically to kill it. But Rhino Senator Chuck Winder, he's one of the biggest rhinos there, um, chastised him on the floor, like passionately, for four and a half minutes, supports big amnesty. And this is what we have there. And let's not forget, let's not forget that we have a bill there, I forget the number, a bill to give driver's licenses to illegals. Now, I, I think ultimately we're going to defeat it, and the Freedom Caucus there is trying to defeat it, but it's like the fact that we still have to play defense. Again, in Florida, DeSantis is going to have mandatory verify. We can't get that anywhere. I can't find another state where we can get that in, but we're still playing defense. Next thing, you go to Indiana. You go to Indiana. It's from Breitbart. First-year medical students at the University of Indiana received a sex and gender primer as part of a class on basic human structure. It's part of an effort to be more inclusive to gender-diverse patients. The student training to become doctors were told that gender is a social construct. Um, Breitbart got a hold of a PowerPoint presenting all this. And again, why is this happening in red state publicly funded institutions? Why? Why don't we have in one legislative session washing this away? But we don't. We don't. It continues. Let's go on. In North Dakota, HB 1082, which is an identical bill to the South Dakota bill that was going to bar cryptocurrency from definition of money while greasing the skids for a central bank digital currency. So Christy Nome vetoed it. Thank you, Glenn Beck. But in this case, we failed to kill it in the Senate and the House. What will Governor Doug Burgum do? Well, he's a progressive. Unless we could pressure him, he's going to sign it. Again, these are states with almost no Democrats left. Virginia. Now, Virginia is a mixed bag, but there is a Republican governor, Glenn Youngkin. He called for the creation of an extra gender neutral bathroom. Neutral bathrooms. So people can use a bathroom that they, in fact, feel comfortable with. Classic Republican triangulation there. Well, let, let, let's find a way to accommodate it. Like, what? So there's that. And then, of course... There's Oklahoma, 
passed out of both the House and Senate committee with the support of Governor Kevin Stitt trying to give driver's licenses to illegal aliens. You saw some of those videos from El Paso, literally a rampage of several hundred military-aged men rampaging through crossing the bridge. They want those people. It's HB 2114 if you're in Oklahoma. And Senate Bill 669 will grant illegals driver's licenses. So at a time when we thought we finally got Republicans righteous on the immigration issue, no. They'll use it as a talking point. But while they'll use it. So, you know, Stitt and these like rhinos in the Oklahoma legislature are saying, you know, Biden failed to secure the border. So we need to do it ourselves by giving them benefits. What? And it's supported by, you know, the Oklahoma Farm Bureau, all that stuff. And this is how it is, one after another. By the way, someone showed me the Republican platform. It's in the RNC platform. Using state licenses to reward people in the country illegally is an affront to the rule of law and must be halted. But it's a joke. It's a joke. The party says one thing, but when it comes to action... There's nothing there. And forget about COVID. I mean, I'm coming out with tomorrow, hopefully, a list of the top 10 best medical freedom pills still left out that could possibly pass that we need to fight for. But honestly, most, if not all, will fail. We are not succeeding. We are not succeeding at all. Again, if you set the baseline at, at of a red state in terms of expectations at that of a blue state and say anything that's better than a blue state that ever passed throughout a session is success, then fine. But then we're lost as a country. We are lost as a country. Why is it that there's no direction? But you're seeing this at the federal level. We talk about an issue, we'll commentate on it, the Republican establishment's on the wrong side of it. But even the people that are broadly on the right side, it's only enough to engage in the but the Democrats. And this is really where the rubber meets the road. In these deep red states in the deep south, the Great Plains, the Rocky Mountain states, upper Rocky Mountain states, Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, you could do whatever you want. See, notice there's there's not a whole lot going on in blue state legislatures. I mean, there always is, but it's it's not the same. You know why? Because they already made those states into hellholes. As soon as they get power, they're done. You see the most um, action in blue states that just became blue. So Minnesota is a great example where they had two branches, but not all three, and they just you know captured the legislature there. So, man, I mean, it's just off to the races. Where's our version of that? Well, you know, we've only gotten, we only have one governor. And that's really where I want to head next. So, folks, why is it that we only have one governor we, we speak of? Again, you look all over the country. People think, oh, maybe it's Greg Abbott. No, he's awful. I mean, awful. Zero leadership on any issue. You go to Oklahoma. And again, we have the governor that not just released the most criminals of any governor in American history, 
but he's pushing driver's licenses for illegals now of all times. Oh, Tennessee's doing some good stuff. Well, you know, the legislature has gotten a lot better there. The speaker's a decent guy. We've had him on. But the governor, I mean, he's opposing the state sovereignty bill that we talked about that is really the best interposition bill that I've seen written gives the people, the counties, the legislature, and the governor uh, all say in constitutional interpretation to push back against unconstitutional federal edicts. I can't find anywhere where there's a good governor. And like we said, there is zero policy direction. Okay, well, Daniel, we don't like policy. We, you know, we, we just like politics as an end to itself. All right, so it's all about elections. But then when it comes to elections, there's no resolve, even when they realize, like, yeah, you know, we've kind of been eaten by uh, – our lunch has been eaten by Mitch McConnell. Yeah, this is pretty bad. We need to change it. Okay, where is the impetus to change things? We talked about how there were so many deep red states that had gubernatorial elections. We have failed to get a single new good governor across the finish line last year. And again, states where the Democrats were not a problem. Nothing. And even now, there's no impetus to look forward. Do you know in a couple months, there are actually primaries? Three deep red states. Kentucky, Louisiana, and Mississippi. As I noted before, we had on a really good candidate from Kentucky, and she had to drop out because she didn't get enough support. So we'll be stuck with a Mitch McConnell guy. Louisiana, maybe we'll, hopefully we'll get a little bit better. Landry's okay. And then there's Mississippi. That is a state that we should hear about as the leader in everything that's good, fiscal, social, everything. But instead, it's like most of these other states where there's a handful of conservatives in the legislature, the executive officials are terrible, and it may as well be a blue state. But they are holding statewide elections, legislative elections this year. What are we going to do about that? So with us today is a very special guest that hasn't been on for a long time. But I think someone who embodies everything we're talking about and the the lack of, of movement towards him in those other elections is the embodiment of what we're talking about. We're talking about Chris McDaniel. He's the man who challenged Thad Cochran before it was cool in 2014, and he won the first round and really won the second round because there were problems, irregularities in that election, and no one cared. All these people that are Johnny-come-latelys, oh, McConnell's terrible, but really won't tell you what they'll do even prospectively now, but when it actually mattered, there was no one there. I had few people to work with to build momentum, and he really... Almost did it by himself anyway. All right, well, maybe we'll learn our lesson. You come to 2018, we had another uh, Senate seat up, and there was this woman, Cindy Hyde-Smith, who was a longtime Democrat, became a Republican later, and Trump comes in and preemptively endorses her. She was you know, picked for the seat, and he endorsed her against Chris McDaniel. So two times he stood up for us, when it could have mattered, and guess what? The cavalry war didn't didn't come in. And this is where we are today. All these people complaining about it. It was it was apparent to anyone who's who's has their eyes open that Mitch McConnell and his minions were a problem in twenty fourteen. Certainly twenty eighteen. Nothing. And even now, there's really no movement. There's nobody focusing on this place. Now I thought 
he'd be bitter about it, going through those two efforts and coming up short. But you know what? He's back for more, and this time he recognizes that the state government is really where it's at. And Chris is challenging the incumbent lieutenant governor. Lieutenant governor has a lot of power in the state of Mississippi. It's almost kind of like like the governor in many other states really controls the legislative agenda. Is Chris McDaniel himself, who is still in the state Senate, he is the conservative leader of not too many conservatives in that chamber. So he is here today to discuss why Mississippi is not red why these states aren't red, and what is it going to take to make them red? Hey, Chris, it's been way too long, but really an honor to bring you back here at CR Podcast today. Oh, thank you so much. It's really good to be back. Thank you. All righty. So, so why is it that you haven't given up? I mean, if I'd, I'd be in your position, I'd be done with this. I'd say the party's broken, the state's broken, the country's certainly broken. What exactly do you hope to accomplish with this uh, bid for lieutenant governor? You know, it's not really, it never has been in my character to give up. I was born to fight. I was born to uh, try to make a difference, particularly in this country that we all love so much. And I think one of the motivating factors there are my two sons and also just the idea of how quickly things have declined, uh, how strange the country appears now from just 20 years or 30 years ago. So there's a lot of motivating factors as to why I'm running, a lot of motivating factors as to why I never quit. In this particular instance, I've come to the conclusion that Washington, again, is incorrigible, and perhaps Washington cannot and will never fix itself. But to your point earlier, if we find strong state leaders and we use these states to push back against the federal apparatus, to push back against Biden and all the bureaucracy of D.C., we can find a way to rebalance the system. And that's what we're trying to do. Florida has been making some inroads. Texas has made inroads. But no one else seems to be speaking out. If the states begin to reassert their sovereignty under the Tenth Amendment and begin to rebalance the system, I still believe we can save this country. Now, here's the issue. Um, how do you interpose with a rotten vessel? So, in other words, the problem is the red states aren't red. You go to a state like Mississippi, the state institutions, the universities, is may as well be like California. Um, the hospitals with the COVID fascism and, and the way things went down with that, the mandates, the treatment, um, is may as well be like the blue states. You know, you always have these anecdotes that, oh, you know, this crazy thing happened in California, maybe didn't happen in Mississippi. But, you know, they they had all the policies in place. Um, you know, all the agencies, the Department of Health, Department of Education, I'm not seeing them root out the leftist woke culture and reflect the values of the majority of the people like DeSantis is trying to do with the departments in Florida. Um, yeah. But Delbert, you know, Delbert Hoseman and, and your governor there, uh, Tate Reeves, you know, they're regarded as kind of reform minded conservative governors and, you know, national conservative media. Uh, they seem to miss this. How do we change that? Uh, strong leadership. It's going to take a, a very strong assertive action on the on the part of someone in government to change it. And I think now is the moment to utilize this environment that we've got. People are angry. Everywhere I go, I hear the same thing. And it's, it's basically what you just alluded to. People sense it. They won't change. They just don't know where to begin. If you give them an example of courage, I believe they'll follow. And what that looks like is the ability to begin to root out these universities and this woke culture in our schools. That's probably the first stop along the way. 
Secondly, the elimination of the income tax would be a great idea. But as we look at this as a whole, it's actually very simple. Reassert conservative philosophy across the spectrum. Stop playing defense every year. Get proactive and reform things while we still have a chance. I'll give you an example. In this state, super majority legislators, right, in both chambers are Republican. There's nothing we couldn't pass if we just found the courage. So why not take this opportunity to really move the needle right now? Move it. If we do that, I think you'll see others join us. I really do. You know, obviously, we've been talking about for a long time since we've last spoken, we've been talking about medical freedom. And you literally have this medical experimentation regime, something we could have never envisioned even a few years ago where the government would willfully poison the bodies of people. And even after everything comes out, there's still no policy change. There's no impetus for policy change outside of Florida. Um, there's no change at all. Mississippi, you know, Department of Health is still promoting these death shots, um, you know, when we wouldn't have them promote Planned Parenthood, right? I mean, and these things are killing people. How do we change the medical culture in Mississippi which, you know, I look from the Department of Health through the private institutions and hospitals, I don't see a difference between them and California. That's a great point. It starts in Mississippi, strangely enough, in a very basic component of uh, childhood vaccinations. We don't even have the exceptions that most states have, particularly a religious exemption from the, the vaccines. Think about this. Only three states in the entire country do not have some sort of exemption for childhood vaccines. Uh, Mississippi, of all states, is one of those three. That's mind-boggling, considering as conservatives as we're supposed to be. My position would be if a, if a parent has a religious objection and it's, it's founded in a sincerely held belief, I believe the state has no business telling that parent uh, how to raise a child. So in that sense, Mississippi is still way behind, but it just takes a couple of major changes. And Daniel, I'm telling you, if you were to see how people follow courage, you can see how change can be effectuated in a state like ours. I always argue, if we're going to save this country, it's going to be these deep red states that have to push back. The Calvary isn't coming to save us from New York or California. It's just not. <laughs> it's going to be the deep red states that realign themselves and push back against the federal apparatus. And um, I think that's the answer to, to saving this place. So you have 36 Republicans in, in your chamber, but... Let's just say you could count the conservatives, you know, on your hands, on your on your two hands in single digits. How in the world do we do we change that in one election? Here's how. Oddly enough, and I, I'm not saying this about every single individual in the chamber, but politicians in general, they gravitate toward power. Their ego controls a lot of how they conduct themselves. So if they think they can get powerful committees if they think they can get bills moved through, if they think they can get favors, whatever the case may be, they'll gravitate toward the powers that be. I firmly believe that the chamber will go to the right if the lieutenant governor is a conservative. I believe it will govern from the right if he is a conservative. And the reason for that is it's a disproportionately powerful office. People don't realize this. Mississippi, the most powerful position we have in state government is the LG, the lieutenant governor. So if you have a strong conservative there, I think the body trends conservative and that's how you start the change so that's what you, so you're you're trying to say and and I, and I guess this is really what we've been struggling for so long is that we're trying to change the legislatures and it's tough because it's it's one by one and i know my friends in texas have been working on this for 15 years and it, and it really has not gone anywhere 
um, the common denominator is we haven't had an executive. We haven't had a governor until Florida that has made a difference. All the Republican governors are more in the mold of Mitch McConnell or sometimes Susan Collins, really, I mean, much worse than that. And you're saying that in Mississippi, it's really the lieutenant governor that kind of leads the legislature. He is. Um, He has the power to assign bills, the power to assign committees. Even the governor's appointments have to come through the Senate for confirmation. So this LG sits basically from a power standpoint at the very top of our structure. And the office is, um, is very influential because of that. So, yes, think Florida. DeSantis takes a swing state and turns it into a solid red state because he led by courage and conviction, not by consensus. And then all of a sudden, the politicians in the Capitol sensed the wind change. They sensed the momentum. And now they all are moving to the right, all trying to stay under uh, DeSantis and his umbrella, if you will. It's the same principle here. Strong leadership would create a strong effect. And not only among the people, but among the folks inside the Capitol. I think that's how you change it. So how do you win an election like this when, you know, you saw last time in 2018, you go up against an incumbent, and and she was a weak incumbent because she was chosen. Um, It's tough. It really is. I mean, (laughs) you and I have known each other for about, you know, almost a decade now. And, you know, you came the closest really in 2014, but it's it's tough. We rarely knock off sitting incumbents without a full-blown scandal. If it's just ideology, it just doesn't land for some reason. I'm shocked that you weren't deterred by that experience, and I'm, I'm impressed by it. But but how do you see yourself? What, what is this, in June, July? When's the primary? It's going to be August, the very first part of August, August the 8th. August the 8th. So um, you have a little bit more time. Um, how do you right. see yourself building the support to, uh, to, to knock off a sitting incumbent? Well, thankfully, we already have a pretty broad-based amount of support in the state. We have um, – uh, an incredible amount of volunteers. The, the uh, newspapers have already indicated that we are uh, that that I'm the leader of the conservative movement in the state, and I don't know if that's right or wrong, but we do have this incredible following. They basically broke our party down into three parties. We have uh, moderates, which Delbert, uh, the, the current lieutenant governor, is the president of. You have establishment, uh, Tate Reeves, he's the president, so to speak, of the leader of those, and then the conservatives, and that's where I am. So. High name ID, thankfully, from the other two races. A lot of wonderful volunteers from the other two races. And so it puts us in a very winnable position. Um, also, as we expose the lieutenant governor, the president LG, for the record that he has, he, we see his numbers begin to bleed away. I'll give you one of those facts. 16 Democrats in this chamber. That's all we've got. 16 Democrats. He appointed 13 of those 16 to be powerful chairman. Did you know that? 13 of the 16. And why on earth... Would we be empowering Democrats to do anything in this environment? Wait, what? Well, on Earth, yeah, everyone talks 13, about Texas in the fight there, but I didn't know about Mississippi. You're saying you got you have Democrat chairman? Thirteen of the sixteen. There's only sixteen Democrats in the Senate. <laughs> Thirteen are chairman. Thirteen are chairman. That's a higher percentage than Republicans are chairman. Okay, so this is who he is. By the way, this is the same guy. You're gonna love this. Back when we first elected our first Republican governor in more than a century, his name was Kirk Fordyce. Um, Delbert Hoseman backed the Democrat, Ray Mabus. You may know that name, Ray Mabus. That was Obama's secretary of the Navy. Yep. But he backed Ray Mabus over Kirk Fordyce. So this is an old school Democrat that's been doing this for years. And once we expose that, 
people see it and they begin to run from him. So the data shows that he is vulnerable and uh, it shows we have a great chance to win. So I'm excited about it. Are, are, is there evidence that people are finally focusing on the legislature? So in other words, you have legislative elections alongside the executive positions, the statewide offices as well. Is there any chance that we have irons in the fire to increase the numbers in the legislature? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, from the standpoint of Mississippi, we already have more Republicans than we can shake a stick at, so to speak. It's supermajority in both chambers. The key is to have those Republicans actually govern as Republicans. What happens in these single-party states, a lot of Democrats just switch their party label, and they continue to govern like old-school Democrats. Once we acquire this position, we can push the body to the right, exposing those old Democrats that now happen to have R's by their names. If they don't become conservative, if they don't push to the right, then they need to be challenged and brought home in the next primary. But they have to be exposed first. That's the idea. The key here is to make sure that we don't govern out of a sense of loyalty to a man. We govern out of a sense of loyalty to our platform as Republicans and as conservatives. And as long as we do that, we'll see a litmus test develop. Did you vote like a Republican or not? And if you don't, you don't need to be in this party. It's just that simple. We need fighters. We don't need people to come up here and, and, and sell us out. Um, and I think we can make that happen. Yep. I mean, this is the story across the nation. Mississippi embodies that. We've, we've taken a tour of a lot of these states, and it's very stealth. A lot of people aren't focused on it. Um, and that's the problem. But the minute you, you shine that, that, that light on it, it's a, it's a different ball game. Um, right. Obviously, when Glenn Beck got involved in this bill in South Dakota, we you know with with uh, banning cryptocurrencies, definition of money, he got Christie Nome to veto it. They they want good press from conservative media, um, but we got to stay focused, and that's what we're trying to do here. Um, my my big concern is this: what I've found in a lot of these states, the reason why red states aren't red, is because the way our government is set up and the tax structure is set up. Um, and the printing of the money, the money and the power flows from from the federal government. So these states are strapped for cash, and they will not do anything that will you know really we need to be independent of of the of the feds. You know the, this is the new seventeen seventy six. I mean they're much worse than anything King George did, but instead. They so badly want the federal funds. We had this a lot with, you know, even something so immoral as the clot shop mandates and mass mandates in hospitals. Oh, well, you know, we can't jeopardize the CMS mandate, the CMS funding, right? Anything that will run, and, and, and even before they even threaten to cut off funding, and often they really won't, but they won't even butt up against it. And that's what I'm finding in a lot of these states. They become such schleppers for the federal government. How do we break that vicious cycle of dependency? That's the, that's really the what is the trillion dollar question, right? <laughs> um, you know, it's crazy. Um, Mississippi recognizes inherently its sovereignty, and its people recognize that sovereignty under the constitutional uh, framework that we have. And yet, you're right that the federal money has a way of controlling things. And the feds, of course, they step back and they say, well, you still can say no to this cash, but we, we depend on it so heavily. We've got to find ways to free ourselves. We've got to find ways to be more self-sufficient. One of the best ways we could do that is to create an environment for economic growth. The more private funds we have, the more jobs we've got, the less likely it is that we would depend on so much federal money coming down into our state, which, by the way, can absolutely hinder economic growth. And that's one thing we've got to find a way to do is to become more self-sufficient. And we can do that by a better environment. 
you know, here's the other thing that's awful to talk about. and It's even terrible to contemplate. It's going to happen eventually one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, you think about the federal government being $31 trillion in debt with absolutely no end in sight. Then you tack on the unfunded liabilities or the promises that have been made into the future. It's going to end eventually. We better begin to prepare ourselves for something else besides just depending on federal dollars because it's not always going to be there. That's just the mathematical certainty of it. No, no, it's it's definitely not. It's definitely not. Um, the other issue I have is if you're lieutenant governor, so your purview is going to be more on the le- legislative branch than the executive branch. The problem mm-hmm. I'm finding in these red states is that the legislators are very part-time. It's a lightning-quick session and then done, except yeah. the governance is not done. I mean, the executive agencies are doing their thing all 365 days a year, and there's no oversight. Yeah. How right. do you strengthen our ability? Ability to engage in oversight and audit every policy, funding, and action of an executive agency to make sure it comports with the state's values and is not – I mean, because everywhere you go with these tiny red states, you'll find the promotion of green energy and global warming. You'll find the promotion of, of the, the you know, anti-biblical agenda you know, and all that encompasses. You'll find the promotion of the biomedical security state. And and the entire uh, you know vaccine agenda, which has really been repudiated the last few years, you don't find like I said, aside from a couple issues, maybe abortion being one of them, guns another. You don't really find that reflected in the culture of the executive agencies. Is that something you feel you can leverage, or is that something that you need a new governor for? I think we can leverage, and I think I can work with uh, Governor Reeves to to make that happen. From a legislative perspective, we need an environment that calls for deregulation. In other words, no more control of these bureaucrats over our day-to-day lives and affairs. And, you know, you've seen this in Congress. It seems that the legislative branch has abdicated its responsibility to these agencies and others to just kind of run the place while we're away. That's not effective government by the people. These are unelected bureaucrats. And they have to be held accountable. There are various things we can do here to do that. We can create a committee to make sure that new regulations can't be promulgated or passed without legislative approval. We can begin to deregulate some of those places and force them to clean up their own houses, so to speak. I think once they understand the oversight is there, most of these agency heads will move the right direction or uh, they perhaps could fear losing their position. And I think that would be a, a motivating factor for them. I really do. What do you do with Mississippi schools? I mean, you look at a lot of the public schools, and it's not like what people people like myself from Maryland would think. Like, man, oh, Mississippi values. But then, you know, I don't get the impression that's what's going on in your public schools. And you know, so both on the value side and the academic side, how do you fix it, or do you not, and just evacuate from it? But from the school standpoint, I think um, that's a very complicated question because we have some really outstanding conservative teachers. My wife is a teacher. Mm. And I can tell you from that perspective, they do a great job. The problem seems to be administration. And that's where most of the dirty conduct begins. The teachers in Mississippi, for example, they're not going to get involved in this gender ideology or this woke concept. But if it's forced upon them by the administration higher up from Jackson, that's when things become problematic. So it has to be controlled from that point down. Um, we still have good teachers and good schools. Something else I'd like to see. Something else I'd like to see. More um, freedom of choice when it comes to these, uh, these schools. There's no justification for trapping a child in a failing school district. None whatsoever. 
So that parents should have the right to make some decisions when it comes to that child's education, including taking that child to a new school. No, definitely, definitely. Um, final question, I was just interested that there were signs in recent elections that black voters in rural areas um, are moving over, moving away from the Democrat Party. Do you see that? Do you see an opportunity there in Mississippi for a change with the right kind of non-country club Republican message? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the message we, we talked about in 14 was along that same thing. And we talked about fiscal discipline. And we talked about uh, social conservatism. And you might recall, Daniel, that last night that we so-called lost the race, we won 59% of the Republican Party that night. It was the Democrat crossover vote that defeated us. So does that message work? Yes. If it's, if it's uh, delivered properly, it does work for sure. Indeed. Indeed. People forget. People forget that uh, we could have knocked off one of McConnell's big minions. You had two opportunities there if the people would have joined. Uh, now everyone's everyone's on board, Chris. So just know we were a decade early, but everyone realizes Mitch McConnell is a problem now that we have a 90-10 majority uh, for the left in the United States Senate. But I think what we rightfully recognize now is that yeah, I mean, that ship has sailed. We tried to fix it. The key now is to make red states red. Um, this is a big part of it. Again, August primary. Uh, how, where could people go to find out more about your campaign and help out? A couple of places. The Facebook account we have is incredibly effective. It's Senator Chris McDaniel on Facebook. Senator Chris McDaniel. The uh, website is Chris McDaniel for LG. Chris McDaniel for LG. Chris McDaniel for LG, folks. This is it. We talk about elections, but I will tell you, to me, this is more important than the presidential election. We're not going to fix that federal government, but if you get more people like the Florida governor in power, governor, lieutenant governor, legislature in yeah. other states, you have a different country. You have a different country. You know what? Then maybe maybe, maybe I have more options to move. Right now, yeah. Mississippi is a little better than Maryland. Not enough. Not enough. It's got to get better. Chris, we wish you luck. Definitely come back to keep us updated as this develops. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been too long, and if I can ever help you in any way, you let me know. Absolutely. God bless. Take care. So again, State Senator Chris McDaniel, and yeah, I mean, that brings back a lot of nostalgia for me. I can't believe that race was almost a decade ago. And he could have easily won that. There was a lot of irregularities there. Cheating goes on in primaries, too, on behalf of the establishment, just like it does on behalf of the Dems in a general election. Everyone cheered it on. Everyone laughed at him. Oh, he's a Yahoo. He's crazy. Because, you know, he doesn't care. He's a, he's a very smart attorney. Um, he is like... Yeah, you know, we we didn't get into it now, but in the past we've talked about judicial supremacism. Like he would literally tell a court to go to hell um, if he were to become governor, lieutenant governor. Um, now, I I do want to say I, this is not a slight to Dr. John Witcher. He is a, a one of the COVID patriot doctors actually running for governor against Tate Reeves. Um, I happen to know Chris, and also, look, it is a much more winnable race. Chris does have massive name ID because of those two races. For John, it's going to be a lot harder, but I do support him, obviously, over the sitting governor. It's just going to be a tougher race, and I wish him well with that. Um, but this is where it is. We have races in a couple months, and you could literally remake Mississippi through Chris McDaniel and the legislative elections. And and look, you know, if people would elevate John Witcher – 
um, and talk about him, maybe he'd have a chance. But without that, he doesn't. And the reality is, Tate Reeves is regarded as one of the hero governors. I think Sean Hannity has had him on as one of the anti-lockdown governors. Are you kidding me? Like Chris said, they don't even have a religious exemption there. It's that bad. That's how you can have a state where the values are in one direction. And see, the thing about Mississippi is it's even more conservative values than the uh, electoral patterns show because it's 40% black. So obviously you're going to have a high threshold of a minority for Democrat votes. But most of the blacks in Mississippi are not exactly woke. You know, they don't go along with that. So especially when you're talking about things like the biomedical security state, the transgenderism, the 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 drag shows the 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 feminism and the queer theory taught in the Mississippi public funded universities. I mean, there you should have super duper majority sentiment against it, but we don't. There's literally like two or three conservatives in that state senate, handful more in the house. They they do have a House Freedom Caucus there that has made more noise, but again, woefully in the minority outside of the abortion issue. It's been running to the ground, just like West Virginia. Very similar in that respect. There's no reason for it. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? That's the question. We never focus on the issues, the legislation, the primaries that matter. I'm always the first one focusing on this. But this is an opportunity right there. Again, I'm unambiguous about DeSantis is 100 times better than Trump on every single point. But that's not even my point. My point is, look at what he did in Florida, which was formerly a swing state. I mean, he won that governorship by 30,000 votes in 2018. What does that say of Alabama and Mississippi? If you had just five more states being run like that, We'd have a different country. So again, he strategically chose to run for lieutenant governor over governor. That was his choice. I do admire him. I thought he was burnt out from running twice, getting no support. And again, I'd be remiss to to overlook this. Trump crushed us. Crushed us in that race. Cindy Hyde-Smith, Mississippi now has two senators that are literally leftists. Voted for the omnibus, all that stuff. Everything you hate, Ukraine, all of it. They're leftists. Wicker and Hyde Smith are leftists on every issue. Every single issue. That's what we have from Mississippi. It didn't have to be that way. Trump screwed us. Endorsing against Chris McDaniel. And it's funny, yesterday you said he he regrets endorsing um, Ron DeSantis. It's like, dude, that was your only good endorsement you ever made. And again, it's, it, he regrets it because he's running against him. It's all personal. It's not like you could point to anything he did in Florida that you disagree. Although, it's not true. He does disagree with things, but nothing that he wants to publicly voice. He disagrees with his opposition to the vaccine now. But he's not going to say that in a primary. But this is the vanity. We wasted years. But it's not like there's a cathartic moment now where, wow, we have an entire conservative movement and all these talk show hosts dedicated and focused on this. I mean, 
look, Tucker is better than the rest, but it would be a big help if Tucker would have on people like Chris McDaniel. See, if people knew that they could run in a state like Kentucky, for example, we had, you know, when we had Savannah on, Savannah Maddox, she's the most conservative uh, legislator, and she was going to run for governor. If Tucker could have lit a fire under her, we could have gone somewhere. But no, we don't. So let me just end with this thought. You know, Tucker was talking last night how, you know, he solicited statements from all the presidential candidates, potential candidates on Ukraine. And, you know, Trump and DeSantis both oppose. And and I think Trump is sincere about that. I'm not going to ding him on that. I think he's sincere about that. Um, I think we all agree that between the two of them, they'll probably get 90% of the primary vote in a given state. Okay, that's where it's at. So... On the one hand, when you put the question before the people, they're very clear where they are on that issue. But you go to Washington, 90% or maybe 70, 80% of elected Republicans, they still not only support Ukraine, they think Biden isn't doing enough. That's that dichotomy. So even when we come to a revelation, you, you poll the primary voters, yeah, the vaccine's bad, yeah, the biomedical security state's bad, lockdowns were horrible, um, you know, all these issues, I don't want bank bailouts, but the policies don't flow from there because we have no sense of direction on the issues that matter, the legislation that matters, the strategies that matter, and the primaries that matter. We're going to focus on all of the above, doing everything we can in our small circles, and that's why I need you to join a ConAction team, ConAction.network. Um, we need a Mississippi leader. We really do. It would be great if we could start a team, not just to focus on the legislation, but to focus on these primaries and try to gradually, it's going to take a few years, but make red states red again. I don't see any other pathway to this. Um, we're going to have some more guests later on this week. We're going to get back to some of the biomedical security stuff as well as cover the green energy stuff, the banking stuff. There is so much out there. Let me know what you want covered. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. At RM Conservative is the Twitter. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening. We are at a tipping point in America. With 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system and a quarter of those awaiting a forever family, Christians must step up. This is Jack Graham, senior pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church, inviting you to Chosen, a summit addressing these urgent needs on Saturday, April 13th. Chosen will empower churches to begin foster care and adoption ministries and equip families who are adopting or fostering. We have great speakers joining me, including Sadie Robertson Huff and Governor Greg Abbott of the great state of Texas, along with dozens of breakout sessions. I urge you to join us and help make a difference in the lives of these precious children. Register at Prestonwood.org slash chosen.